Okay, we are in a sermon series in the book of uh, Romans. So today the reading, uh, you'll find it in Romans chapter 3, uh, verses 21 to 26. And this passage uh, has been described by many as the greatest passage in the Bible. Okay, so you came on a good day. The greatest passage in the whole Bible. I wonder why. Uh, Let's um, find out. Uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Hear the word of God. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Excuse me. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is God's word. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, uh, your word is true and we know Jesus said uh, that the truth will set us free. So we pray, Heavenly Father, that your spirit would enlighten our minds so that we know your truth and that your spirit would set us free, that he would free us from all unbelief, that he would free us from uh, wrong thinking, that he would free us from fear and from living in sin, uh, that he would free us for a life with you. And we pray it in his name. Amen. You know, one of the um, most uh, stressful experiences you can go through, apparently, uh, is to stand trial before a judge and jury in a courtroom. Uh, You could probably imagine the tense moments, you know, after months and months of proceedings, finally the day comes when a verdict will be reached. So you could imagine sitting in the dock, wondering is the verdict, what is the verdict going to be? Is it going to be guilty or innocent? Will you be declared acquitted or will you be condemned? And I begin with that because the Bible actually does say that every single person faces that kind of scenario at the end of time. At the very end of time, there will actually be a judgment day and every single one of us have an appointment to stand before the judge and give an account of how we lived our life. And on that day, the, qu- the question is, will we be declared in the right or will we be declared guilty? Or to put it in Bible terms, will we be justified or will we be condemned? And see, the point that Romans has been making up till now 
is that we don't have to wait until Judgment Day to find out what the verdict will be because the verdict has already been made known in the book of Romans. And do you know what the verdict is? The verdict is every single person, no matter who you are, no matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, uh, whether you're religious or irreligious, whether you are moral or immoral, the verdict of the first opening two chapters of Romans is this. No one is righteous, not even one. Not a single person. And so that means that if, if we are left to ourselves and we've got to stand before God on judgment day, we already know what the verdict will be. Guilty. Condemned. Now all of that in Romans, it's actually been leading up to this monumental turning point that we get to today in our passage. And you can see it because it begins with these incredible words, but now. But now. See, up until now, all that we've heard is bad news. The bad news that we are unrighteous. The bad news that we will be condemned on judgment day. That's all the bad news. But now, there's some good news. There's good news for the unrighteous. And, that, and the good news is, you can be declared righteous. Though you are unrighteous, you can be declared righteous. And that's what this passage is all about, that we're looking at today. It's saying that there is a way to have your verdict, that verdict of judgment day, changed. So rather than being declared guilty, you can be declared right. Right before God. And so what I want to do is explore what that means uh, with you, uh, looking at this passage. And there's three parts I want to look at. We, want to, we need to know what does it actually mean to be declared righteous. Then we need to ask the question, how can God even do that? And finally, we need to ask, how can you receive it? How can you know that that, that has happened to you? So first of all, what does it mean? What does it mean that God can declare the unrighteous righteous? We'll have a look at verse 21. Uh, it says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets uh, witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Now this phrase, the righteousness of God, this is the most important phrase in the book of Romans. And often when the Bible talks about the righteousness of God, it's talking about um, what God is like, you know, that he is righteous. Uh, it's talking about the way that he acts, you know, he always does what is right. And righteousness, it, it's, it's kind of in the, um, it's in the area of the idea of justice. So the righteousness of God means that God always acts in a just way. He always does what is fair. He always does the right thing. And yet, w when these opening two verses use the phrase, the righteousness of God, it's actually talking about something a little bit different. It's related, but it's a little bit different because when you read on to the next um, verse, in, well, in verse 24, actually. Uh, it talks about, um, in verse 24, that we are justified by his grace as a gift. And that word justified, it's actually the same word as righteousness. It's the verb form of righteousness, which I know is a very technical thing to say. But what I'm pointing out here is that when it says the righteousness of God and justified, given as a gift, it's showing us that the righteousness of God, it's talked about in verse 21 and 22, 
is the righteousness that God gives as a gift. Okay, it's a right standing that God gives as a gift. See, Romans has been saying there is none righteous. It even says you can't even produce your own righteousness. If you try really hard to keep the law, you still can't produce your own righteousness. But now, here's the good news, God gives that as a gift. God gives righteousness as a gift. A gift of grace, which means it's something that you don't deserve. Grace is something, giving something that you don't deserve. No one deserves the righteousness of God, but God, in his grace, gives it to people. And so if you have the righteousness of God, that means you have a right standing with God, even while you're still a sinner. Now, one of the illustrations that the Bible repeatedly uses to describe the righteousness of God is that of a robe, a a, a wonderful robe. So, uh, if we look again, uh, the verse that I started the service on in um, Isaiah uh, 61, uh, Isaiah, he says, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God. And here it is, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. And that is such a helpful illustration to understand what this means because if you think about a robe, a robe is something that you put on and it covers everything else. It covers you know, what you're wearing, it covers you. And so to think about it a bit more, let's imagine that you, you were able to get the most expensive robe ever produced. Okay, it's worth, well, it's, it's just worth everything. <laughs> the most expensive robe. And let's say you take someone out of poverty, someone who is really poor, who has absolutely nothing, and you put the world's most expensive robe on that poor person, what happens? They instantly look rich. All of a sudden, they can walk into the fanciest restaurant. They can go into venues that would normally shut the door on them, would tell them to get lost. But now they're completely welcomed. Do you see what's happened? It's almost like their status of a poor person has instantly been changed because they've got this robe on. And that's what the robe of righteousness does for us regarding our standing with God. It changes our status. See, normally, in and of ourselves, if we went to the door of heaven, what would happen? Get lost. You don't belong in here. But with the robe of righteousness, full access, Welcomed in with open arms. Even though, in and of yourself, you're still a sinner. That's what it means to have the righteousness of God. Even while you're a sinner, you are seen as righteous in God's sight. And uh, I don't know if you can see how unique this is. This is so unique. That this, this is what Christianity is all about. This is the very heart of the Christian message. The righteousness of God given as a gift. And it's so unique uh, because if you think about every other religion, do you know what every other religion teaches? The very opposite. Every other religion says if you want to get right with God, if you want to get into heaven or if you want to get into nirvana or, or whatever the ultimate goal of life supposedly is, every other religion says the way you do it is that you've got to work hard. You've got to produce your own righteousness so that on that final day when you come before the deity, 
what's going to happen? You're going to take all your works, put them on the scales and weigh them up. And if they tip the scales to okay, to an acceptable level, you're in. And so every other religion, it's a system that's designed to help you achieve your own righteousness. Okay, but the gospel, the Christian message, it's just so different. It's the complete opposite. It's saying you actually can't produce your righteousness. No matter how hard you try, you're always going to fall short. But the good news is God gives it to you as a gift. Okay, it's not something you achieve, it's something you receive. Given as a gift. Now, not only is that uh, completely different to every other, the way every other religion operates, it's actually the very different to the way our own hearts operate. You see, one of the things we've been learning as we've gone through Romans is that sin doesn't just show itself in being rebellious, you know, by doing immoral things. Sin actually shows itself in self-righteousness, you know, thinking we're better than others. And, and that is something that is just so innate in the human heart. The human heart is inherently self-righteous. And so, you know, I don't know if you've ever kind of done a bit of a, a self-examination, but like I've done that on myself and I realise there's just this constant desire to kind of prove that I'm right or prove that I'm worthy, uh, prove that I'm, you know, even better than others, uh, strangely. You know, we're all experts in defending ourselves, aren't we? So if we get accused of some minor thing, we quickly jump to our defence. You know, who left the toothpaste lid off? We've got excuses for that even. Just the most silly thing. We, we quickly defend ourselves. Why is that? Or why is it that, that we are masters of excuses when we do the wrong thing? We're like the ultimate lawyer, can prove our innocence uh, through any issue. Uh, why is it that, that, that we, we all struggle with people-pleasing? Why is it that we have this, this need to want to look good in the eyes of others? What is that? Or why is it that none of us are good at taking criticism? You know, it really stresses us out if someone criticises. What is this? Why is this so common to everyone? It's because of the way sin works. Because of sin, our hearts are inherently self-righteous and so we're constantly trying to prove that we're right. We're constantly trying to prove we're good. We need to look good in our own eyes. We feel like we need to look good in the eyes of others. And so what then happens is that when it comes to looking good in God's eyes, we assume it's the same thing. We've got to earn it. We've got to prove to God. We've got to do the right things and we think that's what will make us right in the eyes of God. But what does Romans say? It says you can't do that. No matter how hard you try, you will always fall short of God's standards. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, says verse 23. But now the righteousness of God is given as a gift. Isn't that incredible? God gives righteousness as a gift. This is why this is the most amazing passage in the Bible. Okay, well, the second thing we need to, to ask, though, is how can God do that? How can God give righteousness as a gift to sinners? 
Or um, to put it another way, how can God, as the judge of the universe, how can he, in his role as judge, declare sinners who are guilty, how can he declare them righteous? You know, imagine if that happened in a, um, a human court. You know, let, let's say you, know, you get out your ABC News app and you're scrolling through and here's this article that says, you know, um, prominent judge found to have perverted justice. Uh, it's been proven that over and over again he's acquitted the guilty. Now, if that was the case, it'd be an outrage. You know, sack that judge. How unjust. That's a perversion of justice. And see, at one level, it kind of, it could almost look like God is doing that. You know, by declaring people who are guilty righteous, doesn't that, isn't that a miscarriage of justice? Whatever happened to God uh, being angry at sin and, and needing to punish every sin? What happened to that? Doesn't God declaring sinners righteous, doesn't that call into question his own righteousness? Okay, doesn't, isn't God meant to do everything right? Will not the judge of the earth do what is right? That's the big question here. And this is what Paul goes on to answer uh, in verses 24 to 26. And the answer that he gives takes us to the very heart of the gospel. Okay, the very heart of the Christian message. And do you know what is at the very heart? It's the cross of Christ. Okay, so let's have a look at verse... Well, we'll read from um, the end of verse 22. Sorry, Ethan, I'm making you do gymnastics here. Uh, see, at the end of verse 22, there's a sentence that says, For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Then verse 24, And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now there's a lot in those verses, a lot of technical terms, um, but it is quite easy to understand if we just notice that there's three key words that, that unlocks the point of the passage. Three key words, they are the words redemption, propitiation, and uh, where it says God shows his righteousness. So let's think about those three words briefly. What does redemption mean? What does it mean that God has provided redemption in Christ Jesus? Well, this word redemption, it has to do with clearing a debt. Okay, it means you, you, you make a payment to clear a debt. And uh, one way to think about it, uh, if you've, um, when you drove in here today, did you notice all those black marks on the road? All those um, tyre marks? See, uh, if you come to the evening service, often we get this um, amazing sound and light show out on the road here where our local hoon doing wheelies constantly. All this noise, all this smoke, burning rubber, now, let's, let's just imagine that the police catch up with our local hoon, lock his car up, or impound it, they call it, impound his car, and in 45 days' time, that car is going to be crushed. And we're all cheering, <laughs> finally. Uh, now, how does, how does our local hoon get his car out of being impounded? He has to pay this price. And that price, it's a redemption price. He can redeem his car by paying um, this particular fine. 
And that's what redemption means. And so when it comes to God, uh, we, we all have this huge debt with God because of our sin. So every time we break God's law, we add to that debt. So we have this enormous debt. We can't imagine how big it is. An infinite debt. And because God is a just judge, he can't just ignore that. He can't just kind of you know, quietly make the debt go away. That would be unjust. So what's he going to do? Is he going to make us pay the debt? Well, here's what's so amazing about the gospel. God pays the debt himself. Okay, that's what he did by sending his only son to that cross because when Jesus went to the cross, he went there to pay for our debt. It's just incredible. Now, the way he paid that debt isn't explained in the very next um, technical word uh, where it says in verse 25 that God put um, Jesus forward as a propitiation by his blood. A propitiation. Now, that word, it's a very strange word. We don't tend to use it very much. Um, I don't think you've um, been to any parties lately and talked about propitiation. Probably not. Well, it is a technical word. It actually comes out of comes out of the Old Testament sacrificial system. And it's a word that has a very um, straightforward meaning. It just, it just refers to the way a sacrifice, or the shedding of blood in a sacrifice, how that appeases God's wrath. Okay, that turns God's anger away from the sinner. And uh, if you remember the Old, Old Testament sacrificial system, you had priests in, in the temple offering up a sacrifice, for someone who had broken the law and when that blood was put on that altar, that represented that, that the person, that the thing that they had done wrong, that that's been paid for. Okay? The penalty, death, it's, been, it's happened in the sacrifice. And, and see, this is the thing. Ever since chapter 1, verse 18 in Romans, Paul has been saying that God's wrath is against us. God's righteous anger against sin how can that wrath be turned away from us? There's only one way. A payment has to be made. A sacrifice has to happen. Someone has to pay. That's what Jesus did at the cross. Now that moment when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the point in which all of God's anger against our sin was poured out on Jesus. He took that in full and by doing that, satisfied God's anger against us. It's now turned away. That's what it means to, uh, for Jesus to propitiate uh, the Father in our place. Now, we actually sing about that a fair bit because we sing that song, In Christ Alone, all the time. And In Christ Alone has that line that, that sums it up perfectly. It says, uh, Till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid. See, Jesus paid it in full. And then Paul goes on to say uh, in the next um, verse that this was all to show God's righteousness. Okay, God did it this way to show that he is righteous, to show that he is just in the way he has declared sinners righteous. Remember the big dilemma how can God acquit the guilty? 
How can God declare the unrighteous righteous? Isn't that a miscarriage of justice? Not at all. Because the demands of justice have been fully met at the cross. Jesus stood in the place of sinners, got what we deserved, so that we now can get what Jesus deserved, which is the full welcome, you know, Jesus' perfect life. And, and that's why verse 26 can say that this God did it so that he might be just and the justifier of those, of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, this, this, here, this is why, remember I said at the start, people say this is the greatest passage in the whole Bible and this is why. What this is saying is, it is absolutely amazing because what it shows us how incredible God's grace is. It shows us that God was so determined to save sinners that the only way he could do it, the only way he could do it is by turning his own justice on himself. And that's what he did at the cross. See, when God punished Jesus in our place, he wasn't just taking some helpless third party and saying, you go out there and do it. Because Jesus is God. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. And so when Jesus died on the cross... This is God himself stepping into the place of sinners, paying their debt for them to set them free. This is just so incredible. What an amazing God. Okay, How can God love the sinner while at the same time satisfying his justice? There's only one way, the cross. That's why the cross is the only way to be saved. So there you go, nothing unjust about God declaring sinners. It's actually the most amazing act of love there is. At the cross, God declared Jesus guilty on account of our sin so that we can now be declared righteous on account of Christ's work. That is the heart of the passage. And now we actually see more clearly what this righteousness of God is that he gives. This is not something that God just made up out of the blue. He didn't pull it out of a hat. It's not an abstract record. It's actually the righteousness of Christ. That's what's given to the one who receives it. So there you go. That's how God can justify sinners. Only through Christ. Now that brings us to the last thing though that we need to think about. And the last thing is how does it become yours? Okay, it's the most amazing thing you can imagine. God giving righteousness. How do you get that? How can you be sure that right now when God looks at you, he doesn't look at you as someone guilty, but he actually looks at you as someone who is right. Righteous in Christ. How, do, how can you be sure that that's yours? How can, how can you be sure that when God looks at you, he looks at you as it were, robed in Christ's righteousness? How can that happen? Well, the answer, it's, it's all through this passage. It's actually in every second verse. And the answer is, it's through faith. How do you get it? Through faith. So if we look at verse 22 again, uh, it says the righteousness of God, it's through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. All who believe. Why does Paul emphasise that, that, um, the universal nature of it? The all. It's because he's saying anyone can get it. Even if you're the most rotten scoundrel in the world, you can receive this 
because it has nothing to do with your efforts or your record. It's, it's a record done by someone else given to you, so anyone can get it. But notice what this faith is. This is not just a general, I believe in God kind of faith. I mean, most people have that. Uh, even demons have that. <laughs> you know, the demons believe. The faith that justifies is not just, um, you know, when people say it doesn't matter what you believe so long as you're sincere. That's, that's total rubbish. No, no, the faith that receives righteousness from God is a very specific, a very focused faith. It's faith in Jesus Christ. It's in what Jesus achieved on the cross. That's the faith that saves. Okay, you've got to trust in Jesus himself. And it's a faith in Jesus alone. By that I mean we can't add anything to it. Uh, verse 21 said it comes apart from the law, which means our law-keeping adds nothing to the righteousness of Christ. So you're right standing with God. It's, it's based 100% on what Jesus did. Okay, not 90% Jesus, 10% us, or not even 99.99% Jesus and that little tiny slither us. No, 100% on Jesus. So what we do, the way we live, even the quality of our faith, it adds nothing to the righteousness of Christ. And so what faith is, faith is like holding out empty hands, receiving a gift that you don't deserve. It adds nothing to the gift. Faith just says, I accept what Jesus did. And we have to emphasise that we add nothing because remember, our hearts, they're prone to self-righteousness. Which is why when, when people can hear about this, hear about the free offer of salvation through Jesus, so many people just cannot accept it. Just cannot believe it's true because it just sounds too easy. It sounds like, uh, what, you mean I contribute nothing to my salvation? That can't be right. That's just how we innately think. But this is the good news. It really is done for you, all of it, 100%. You know, even Christians, even genuine Christians who do have Christ's righteousness can still struggle with this. They can still be plagued with doubts and anxious thoughts about where they stand with God. Um, maybe that's you. Maybe you feel like you're in and out of God's favour, depending on how well you live each day. But what's going on? You're actually forgetting that Christ alone is your righteousness. That if you've got Christ, you are accepted fully. And that will never change. See, God's acceptance of us has nothing to do with our performance. It doesn't even have anything to do with the quality of our faith. It's the object of our faith that saves us. And the object is Christ alone. And so the big question for you all today is do you believe? Have you put your trust in Jesus? Because if you have, then God sees you like this, righteous. Now I just want to finish by asking, what difference would it make? What would it look like if you knew you had Christ's righteousness, what difference would that make to your life? Do you know it would change everything? 
Okay, because uh, what would happen is we would no longer feel the need to um, produce our own righteousness. Okay, if we knew we had Christ's righteousness, we could give up on that, give up on trying to make ourselves right. And that would change everything. That would actually be the end of our pretending. We wouldn't have to pretend that we're really good people because we know we're not. And we're not even relying on that anymore anyway. It would be the end of, of being, uh, well, of, of trying to hide. You know, we, we could be the kind of people who admit our mistakes. You know, if someone says, why did you do this wrong? We're not going to quickly jump to our defence. We're going to go, maybe they're right. See, we could admit mistakes because we're not depending on our own righteousness anymore. You could be someone who, who can just even put your hand up and say, I need help. I'm struggling with something. Okay, I'm not trying to look good in people's eyes anymore. I can say, I need help. This is how freeing it is. Uh, you know, if we, had, if we knew we had the righteousness of Christ, we wouldn't get so hung up about what other people think of us. Okay, we wouldn't go around feeling morally superior to some people and then morally inferior to others. All of that, it's gone. Why? Because all that matters is how God sees us and how does he see us in Christ? Righteous. Do you see how freeing this is? See, if you know that you have Christ himself as your righteousness, that's the end of trying to produce your own righteousness. So you're actually free. You're free. Uh, it means you're free of fear. You don't have to be afraid of the future. You know that God is 100% for you. You don't have to be afraid of death because you know that on the day you die, you'll be welcomed with open arms into God's heaven. You don't have to be afraid of judgment day because you know that through Christ, the verdict of judgment day, it's already been reached. It's already been set. The verdict is righteous. See, you've got nothing to fear. Do you see how freeing this is? This is the most wonderful news ever. It really does set you free. And look, if you, if you really believed that Jesus took God's wrath in your place, if you believe that he died on that cross to pay for your debt in full, then that, that changes your life because now Jesus means everything. Okay, now, now you're just overwhelmed. What a saviour. You don't go living your life now as though, as though Jesus meant nothing. No, he's everything. Do you see how changing this is? This is the greatest news there is. See, receiving righteousness through faith in Christ, the most transforming news that there is. And the rest of Romans is going to unpack what that looks like. So you've got to keep coming to find out. Okay, that's, well, there it is. God declares sinners righteous. The greatest news the world could ever know. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord. Thank you for your incredible plan of salvation where you can uphold your justice and, and then at the very same time show grace to sinners, sinners who deserve to be punished forever. We could never invent something like this, but we thank you that you have revealed it and that you've sent your Son to achieve it. And so, Father, we're... Lord, we pray that all of us here today would, would feel free, that we would feel free of the burden of trying to produce our own righteousness. And Father, we pray that uh, where we do have uh, doubts and anxious thoughts 
or fears for the future or even um, facing um, our own death. Lord, we pray that all of those fears uh, would just drive us to Christ, that we would anchor our lives in him, that we wouldn't be driven by all the winds of doubt, that we would, be, that we would have this assurance that if we are in Christ, then you see us as righteous. And we thank you for this, in Jesus' name. Amen.